thinking last night, I might be, this season of life for me is really unique. It's different than any other season of life. I feel like um, maybe on the verge of buying a two-door convertible. Um, right? You just... No, I mean two-door convertible. My wife can have the Suburban. I'm going to get the two-door, right? Um, and I think when you're younger, you look and you, you hear about midlife crisis and you're like, I don't get it. Um, but then the closer you get to 40, it's a unique season. It, th- this season of life is unlike any other season of life that I personally have experienced. And I think there's something unique about it. I think that's why it's been, um, once again, maybe not celebrated, but set apart Turning 40, over the hill, I'm 39, so I'm really close. My next birthday will be that birthday, which is really scary to think about. Um, but, but you kind of get, as you get closer, you kind of understand why that day's been really set apart and why that season of life has been set apart in the minds of our culture. Um, I understand why I would want a two-door convertible now at this season of life. I, I just I want to feel cool again, and I need a space just for me. <laughs> so I can have both of those in one, right? Um, I don't know if I'm going to have a midlife crisis, but the one thing that, that has become evident to me in this season of life, there's, there's really one reason, I think, that this season of life has been unique and, and is increasing to be unique. It's because from where I stand in this season of life, I can look at my kids, my sons, and, and I can remember myself being five and seven and being like them, right? You can look at your son and you can say, I remember that, but that's not me anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm just not there anymore. But I can also simultaneously stand and look at my sons and then I can look at my father. And this may be the only season of life where I can look both directions and see completely that I'm not who I was and I'm not who I will be. And it's a unique perspective that I stand in. Um, and I'm like, I've, I've, I've never had this opportunity before. And I probably won't have it. I mean, God blesses us with a number of years left with my parents. But it's still, no matter how many years you get, it's still short. And this season's still not very long. Um, so I can look back at my sons and say, I remember that, but I'm not there anymore. And I can look ahead to my father and I can say, I can see that, but I'm not, yet, I'm not there yet. And here I stand in the middle and say, I'm not who I was, but I'm not who I will be. And it's a really, really unique perspective from where I stand. Um, And really, that's what we talked about last week a little bit. Uh, I drew you a picture. I'm going to draw the picture again because we're going to use it again. Um, So anybody remember from geometry what we drew last week? Protractor. Did anybody fact check me to see if that's what it really was? Um, no. So old and new, we were in Second Corinthians chapter 3, and this, I drew this picture for you to describe what Paul was talking about. He said, in the old with Moses, we had this old glory with Moses that came on tablets of stone, and then here in Christ we have a new glory that comes in the Holy Spirit when you believe And uh, when you receive the Spirit, you enter into this new glory that he says is far better than this old glory that came with Moses on tablets of stone. He said, but there was glory. There was weightiness. There was an incredible presence of God that came 
to Moses on those tablets of stone? He said, but as amazing as that was, what Christ offers and what we receive in the Holy Spirit is far more incredible than anything Moses ever had in those days. Um, We said in the old glory, uh, it included fear. uh, It included death. Condemnation. Uh, It included slavery, uh, obsession with the temporary. But with new glory, with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we now no longer have fear, but we have boldness. Uh, We no longer have death, but we have life and life more abundant. Uh, We no longer have condemnation, but we have righteousness that is undeserved. It's a free gift. It's called grace. We no longer have slavery, but we are now free in Christ. So we have freedom. And we're no longer obsessed with the temporary, but we store up everlasting treasure. So here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. That's our picture, right? Uh, that's what he said, that's what he described. In Moses, the old glory, these things is what he said. In Christ and the Holy Spirit, this is what we have. And um, he, he, he gave us the image of the veil. And let me read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He says, In Christ, we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We all, in Christ, when you believe, when you trust in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit because He puts Him in you. says He takes the veil off, and now you can see clearly. And as you look into the face of your groom, as you look into the face of Jesus, He says, from one degree of glory to another, you find yourself being transformed to become more like Jesus and less like yourself, less fearful, less condemned, more bold, more free, more righteous. Right? But we talked a little bit. He said, you've got to remove that veil. You have to continue to look at him. You cannot flinch when you see something you don't like. You cannot think that he's come to condemn you because it initially feels like that when you have these things revealed in you, when you have the negative things revealed in you then initially we want to cover it back up and not deal with it, but continue to gaze at Jesus, continue to trust in the process. He says, one degree at a time, one degree at a time, you will find yourself transformed into the image image of Christ and no longer the man you were. So that's our three-minute recap of last week. But we have a temptation. Temptation is to turn away from the weightiness of Jesus, right? Um, Jesus is weighty. He rocks our boat, we said. Uh, We have to resist the temptation to turn away from from Christ when He causes us to see ourselves. Um, And when we resist that, we find ourselves moving one degree at a time. We looked at this book. right? Uh, We've been talking about this for a couple weeks now. Uh, and in this book, this book serves as a tool to help us do that. Uh, serves as a tool to help us reflect on ourselves, reflect on the glory of God, 
uh, and to continue to press into and see ourselves transform one degree at a time. So that's the premise of our conversation. Through meditation and prayer, I want to give you a new term this week that we're going to work with. Right? Where's my middle? Is that my middle? That's my middle. So like audio guys, right? When you measure sound, right? If you have like this, maybe he's got it on one. He's got gadgets all over his phone and stuff like that. But when you measure the sound, right? And you've got a microphone and, and you've got the ability to measure it. What happens? As it gets louder, what happens? Yeah, it moves the needle towards the other side. And that's the term we're going to work with today, moving the needle, right? So the longer we gaze at Christ, the more our needle moves one degree at a time from one side to the other. And if we want to move the needle, we have to continue the process of prayer and meditation focused on the glory of God, not being fearful of what we see in ourselves, but believing that He's got a process for us that's going to transform us if we continue to press in. But you're going to wade through some stuff you don't like in yourself because the glory of God is a mirror. And we said last week that when we look at the glory of God, the goodness of God, the greatness of God, it's not what we see in God that we don't like, it's what we see in ourselves that we don't like. And if we fight the temptation to cover that back up, what's going to happen is we're going to move the needle from one side to the other. And we're going to see that this is who we were, but another season of life, we're becoming more and more new, more and more transformed in the image of God because we're going through that process. Going through that process. So those of you that grew up in church, you grew up in church and maybe you heard that you need to read your Bible all the time. Read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Set a daily pattern of reading your Bible. Which is obviously not a bad thing, but I know a lot of people that read their Bible that it doesn't do any good. Right? What you... I want to add to that and, and maybe even correct some, add to some of the counsel I've given before. And so you need to learn to meditate on the scriptures and let it drive your prayer life. Now, Christians don't often talk about meditation because meditation is attached to other types of religions, which you don't want to be associated with if you're in the Bible Belt. But learn to meditate. The five questions in here, what's the question we talked about last week? It's question number one. <coughs> what are you learning? What are you learning? And meditation is simply dwelling upon that question, allowing God to speak to you in the silence and in your thoughts and your prayer. God, what am I learning? What are you showing me? I'm going to sit here and I'm going to continue to meditate and to allow you to reveal these things to me. All right? That's... We need to learn to meditate on the scriptures and on what God's doing and then be prayerful according to what we read and what we hear Him say. Yes, read your Bible. Read it as often as you can. But don't just read it to read it. That's another Christian duty that becomes a veil that covers up the glory of God. But if you learn to read it and meditate on it and prayerfully consider what you've read, then God will move the needle from one side to the other and you'll be transformed into the image of God. You can read with a veil. That's what he said happens. And he said, continually to this day, this is what it says in 2 Corinthians 3, continually to this day when Moses is read to the Israelites, they still have a veil. They're reading the scriptures daily and there's no transformation. What's the difference? 
meditate in the spirit. Prayerfully consider what God's speaking. And in the spirit, you'll be transformed from one degree to another. So he said, there's people reading the Bible every day. No transformation. No transformation. We've got to learn to meditate and pray the scriptures back to God and allow him to do a work in our life. Okay? So, don't fear the word meditation. Learn to use it correctly um, as it pertains to the glory of God. It's question number two. Anybody, anybody know what question number two is on the daily? Every day we read, you read a passage, he gives you a prayer out of that passage, and he asks you five questions that you ask yourself every day. Anybody know question number two? Zach's, there you go. Zach's going to look it up, and he's like, I ain't going to be silent. I'm going to figure this out. You jokers had this book for weeks, and I just got it in my hand. Um, what am I thankful for? It's question number two. You ask yourself every day after you do your reading, and after you... Now, let me say, these questions are not simply questions for you to consider. They're questions for you to meditate on and then prayerfully give back to God. Okay? So don't read a book about prayer and not pray. <laughs> right? You ask these questions so that you say, what am I thankful for? I'm thankful for the X, Y, and Z. Father, thank you for those things in my life, right? It's not you making a list and saying, man, I meditated on that today. No, it's you making a list and then you presenting that list to your Heavenly Father with the spirit of gratitude, right? So, let's make a list. We're good at that. What are you thankful for? Go. Not all at once, but go. Health. Health. Okay. Kids, sometimes. <laughs> and I feel like we made this list, but we're going a completely different direction than we did last time. So. Is Mark the only one with thankfulness in this room? Maybe. Health. Kids. Putting another dot by thing. J-O-B. Okay? Sometimes. It's like kids. Sometimes we're thankful for that. Having a roof. Roof. Shelter. But I'm going to use your word. Roof. For friends. And I understand you guys are hesitant to answer because you know I'm going to put a twist on the end and you don't want to be used in the twist. So I get that. But it's going to be, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I've specifically been thanking God for my car. Since I've been wanting a bigger car, I'm like, Lord, just let me be thankful for the provisions you've given me. Okay. So I have had to be like all week. Thank you, Lord, for the car that you've provided. But so she- Shelly's going back to the last time that we did this <laughs> thankfulness thing. And she's like, okay. Thankfulness and anxiety go together, and I can fight my anxiety with the spirit of thankfulness. So, God, I'm anxious about getting a new car, so thank you for the one I have. I want a bigger car. Right? So, thank you for the one you provided. She learned a lesson last time we talked about thankfulness. So, uh, I have seriously been praying. <laughs> She's like, you're not going to get me on this next thankful conversation. I got my lesson last time. What else you got? Give me a couple more. Family. Hmm? Wait, family? Yeah. And, and Andrew, you said something too? 
Maybe. Whoa. Okay. One more. Okay. All right. Choose shorter words next time because that's a that's a long write, right? I'm just kidding with you. All right. So these are things we're thankful for, right? And that's how it works. You guys fed my assumption, so I'm happy that you fit into the category of what I assumed was about to happen. You guys nailed it. Thank you for that. You did a great job at that. These are all feel-good answers. Every one of these is a feel-good answer. Of course you're thankful for these things. Of course you're thankful for these things, right? They're obvious answers. Praise the Lord, I got a roof. You know, praise the Lord, I got a car. I got, I, I'm not like the dude on military that's walking, carrying his groceries. I'm not pushing the grocery cart. I'm not doing this. These are obvious, obvious things. Look at Romans chapter 5 with me. Look at Romans 5. I am glad that you guys nailed the assumption. And I feel like I have an unfair hand because I'm the one, you know, but I appreciate you guys. I do. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for you. So read with me Romans 5. We're going to read the first two verses. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through Him by faith into this grace with which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Right? He says, by faith. By faith. Because you have believed, you have put your trust and in, in your confidence in Jesus, you now have peace with God through Jesus, through your faith in Him, through your confidence in Jesus. Now you're at peace with God. He says, you were once enemies, but now you're at peace. You're a son or a daughter and a friend of our Father. At peace with him. You have obtained access to him by faith in Jesus. And now you stand in that. But here he says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We are thankful for the hope that we now have in Jesus. We are thankful for the hope that we have. We are thankful for the peace that we have through Jesus. Before Micah was born... Um, when Shelly was pregnant with Micah, we lived about a block and a half that way. And I had a Jeep, and Shelly had a car. Um, so when we started having kids, we were not prepared with vehicles. It's a really bad scenario. Jeeps are not good for kids. So if anybody's got a Jeep, sell it before you have kids. Um, so I remember when Shelly was pregnant, my parents came to me. Yours was really tall. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. It's, I, it was an off-road Jeep. I knocked their heads in the roll cage every time we got them in. Thanks to Zach, who put my roll cage in. Um, but, um, but when we were, she was pregnant with Micah, my parents came to me and said, we'd like to buy you a truck. We'd like to buy you a truck. And I'm like, well, you're not going to buy me a truck. There's no way I'm going to let you buy me a truck. Those things are expensive. You're not just buying me a truck. I'm not 15 years old anymore. But after we fought that for a little while, and I, I kind of pressed up against my pride, and, and I'm like, this is, this is a truck. I get to haul my kids safely, and you know that was their their premise for for making this offer to me. Is we want to do this not for you, but for your kid. They didn't know I've got four of them, and I needed a truck. Um, 
But I mean, I wrestled with this for a week, and Shelly and I talked about it, and it, it is a very humbling thing when somebody offers you something that you don't deserve and you haven't earned. I mean, you're 27, 28 years old, and now your parents want to offer you this most ridiculous, generous gift. Rationale was they paid for your other brother's college and you didn't go to college, so they didn't pay for your college. You can you can rationalize it how you <laughs> that like. That's the way they rationalized it with you. I rationalized it with pride, and and it was almost a little bit difficult to receive. But we 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 waited through the pride, and I gave in. And eleven years later, I'm still driving the truck, and I'm still thankful for it. Right, still thankful for that truck, and it's the longest I've ever had a vehicle in my life. Um, and I'm still commuting my kids. Now we're making a living out of the truck. And I'm just completely thankful for this truck. I mean, obviously I'm thankful for this truck. It was given to me 11 years ago. It was a gift. I don't deserve it. I, I couldn't have earned it. I don't, I'm still not sure I could pay for it today, right? So it is in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He's like, of course you're thankful for your salvation. If you've believed and you have received Christ as Savior and you're now at peace with your heavenly Father where you were once an enemy, of course you're thankful for that. Of course that's good news. That's the obvious answer. That's the feel-good answer. It's like a free truck. Yeah, you're thankful for that. But let's look at verse 3. Verse 2 is a no-brainer. But now we turn to verse 3. And he says, not only that, he's like, but I'm about to pull the rug out from under you. Not only that, but we also rejoice. We're also thankful in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. We are now not only thankful for our salvation in our free trucks, but we're thankful for what? Afflictions. We rejoice. We celebrate because of our afflictions. Okay? This is the less obvious answer. Affliction. Let me give you a definition according to what was intended when they wrote this in the Greek. Affliction represents pressure. It's uh, constricting uh, and rubs Against. I told you last week, sometimes the original language kind of creates a picture that our current language doesn't, and this is another example of that. Affliction, and you think, yes, designer jeans. And Paul's like, no, no, it's pressure. It's like you feel like things are closing in on you, and your affliction is when you're hemmed in and it feels... Like there's no escape. Right? That's affliction. Hemmed in and feels like there's no way of escape. Here's my last part. Internal pressure caused by external 
circumstance. Okay? It's the feeling of internal pressure caused by an external circumstance. Right? Um, That's affliction. And we're thankful for it. We rejoice in it. Right. Our kids fit that. <laughs> That's why my kids do. On the days we're not thankful for our kids, it's because they cause us affliction. But he says also rejoice in the affliction that that causes. All right. Um, a couple thoughts, and then I got a question for you. It's internal pressure caused by an external circumstance. Because the pressure is internal, I cannot minimize somebody else's suffering by evalu- evaluating their situation. I cannot minimize your suffering by evaluating your circumstance. Because the affliction is an internal pressure that only you can evaluate. Right? So I can't look at your circumstance and say, Zach, it's not that big a deal, bro. Because internally, it's pressing in and you feel like there's no way of escape and you feel like that, that this is rubbing and constricting and hemmed you in, then internally you have a perspective of it that externally I cannot evaluate. So I can't say, dude, it's not that big a deal. I cannot evaluate your affliction because of your circumstance, because affliction has with it the, in, the, the idea that this is an internal feeling of pressure. Okay. So number one, Christian... Do not do this to others. Don't. Don't minimize the affliction or the suffering of another person by saying, it's not that big a deal, bro. Right? But we do. We do that. But we can recognize that affliction has an internal pressure that I cannot evaluate. Because it is partially emotional and feeling, right? And it's not always in correct proportion with what's going on externally. There was a time the other day that I came to the realization as we were in this process of this ministry, I'm like, what I feel internally doesn't match what I see externally. I am suffering, struggling at at, at complete odds with myself internally, but I look out in my life, and everything's at peace externally. The pressure I felt internally did not match the circumstances I could view externally. But they were completely real, completely powerful over me, completely an affliction. But you would have looked at the outside and said, dude, looks good to me. Looks good to me. Right? Anybody know what we're talking about here? Yeah, that's affliction. That's affliction. It's partially a feeling, so it can get out of proportion with an external circumstance. Question for you. What are examples of affliction that you've witnessed or experienced? Pressure. Constricting. Feels like there's no escape. What is, what's an example that you have either witnessed or experienced? Finances. Affliction number one. What's another affliction? Joblessness. 
Unemployment. Okay? Is it I before E? Yes. <laughs> That's the number one rule in English that I cannot. I before E except for after C. Why didn't they just make it a one-size-fits-all rule? What else? What's an example of affliction that you've either witnessed or experienced? Just feeling stuck. Okay. I'll say anxiety. Okay. Andrew, I think I think your example is the definition. <laughs> but I mean, what 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 is the cause? Like, what what causes us to feel stuck sometimes? You have a good job, but you're not where you want to be. You can't afford. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So even though you've got a lot to be thankful for, you still feel trapped. And that's a great example of what I just said. I cannot look at you and say, Andrew, that's... It's foolish that you feel that way. Say, look, you got it all. But there's an internal struggle going on that I can't completely identify with because it's internal, right? What did you say, Shelly? I said anxiety. Anxiety. I group that as just affliction in general. Yeah, which is caused by... The Caused by a number of things, right? We, we, a lot of us have our own triggers that cause our own anxiety, that cause our own stuckness, that call our, cause our own pressure, right? Um, I'm going to... Plans or success, right? And that's kind of what, somewhat what Andrew was talking about. You, you've got these dreams, these goals, this definition of success, even though you've got a lot to be thankful for, you still haven't achieved X, Y, or Z, so you feel stuck, you feel trapped, you feel backed in, and there's no way to go. All right, so Paul describes how the needle moves in affliction. He describes something that's very unique for us. He says, in affliction, affliction itself moves the needle. That's why we're thankful for it. Because in affliction, he said, first you feel the pressure. The pressure causes endurance. The endurance creates character, and the character creates hope. This is why you can rejoice or be thankful for your affliction. Because affliction itself moves the needle in your life, transforms you into the image of Christ. He puts pressure on you, or you have pressure on yourself, and Eventually, keeping our eyes on Christ, not flinching, not covering, not, not, not running away from it, but pressing into it and trusting the process, moves the needle, and that pressure creates endurance. That's why Mark, yesterday when we went running, and I'm like, dude, I'm two and a half miles in, and I'm dying. And he's like, run fast again. <laughs> he put pressure on me, because if I submit to Mark's leadership in our run... And I continue in that pressure without backing out and sitting in the bleachers and watching him run. Submitting to the pressure is going to create endurance. And I'm going to increase my endurance because I've surrendered to the pressure. I'm in the process. I haven't checked out. So pressure creates endurance. Endurance creates character. And if I stay in the game, the needle moves to hope. 
And that's the process that affliction does, and that's why we're thankful for it. That's why we rejoice in our afflictions and our pressure. Tweet number one. Good times don't move the needle. Hard times do. Good times don't move the needle. Hard times do. Very few of you have ever grown out of an overflow of goodness. You move the needle in difficult seasons, not good seasons. I got two promises for you this morning. Two promises out of this passage in Romans 5. Promise number one. He will not waste this difficult season. Keep your eyes on Christ. Trust the process in your affliction. And Jesus never has and never will waste a difficult season. Never has and never will. He never stops short of bringing about your good. Why do we stop short of receiving the good out of our affliction? Because we stopped short. We veiled it again. We covered it again so that we didn't have to see what we didn't want to see. So we didn't have to deal with what we saw in ourselves. And we cover the difficulty. We cover the affliction so that we don't have to go through the affliction. And we try to avoid it and go around it. And when we do that, the promises of God that all things work for the the good of those who love God and are called called according to His purpose. Your affliction will not work for your own good if you veil yourself, cover the glory of God, and don't go through the process. If you do go through the process, He has never and will never stop short of bringing about your own good. He's never wasted a difficult season, and He won't start with you. Okay, That's why we rejoice in our affliction, because it's going to move the needle. It's going to transform you into the image of Christ. Always has, always will. Zach and I were talking before this morning. It's like he asked why these prayers were dangerous. I'm like, because we typically pray for comfort and pleasure. God, take care of me, keep me healthy, give me the job, give me this, give me that. We pray for all these things that are good season creators, right? But then he said, I prayed that God would make me to the man that I wanted to be, and he gave me a stroke. And here it is in my affliction, shaping me to answer the prayer that I prayed before this happened. God's not going to stop short in Zach's life. Right now he's moving the needle. Your character is far greater than it was before the pressure was applied. Your endurance is increased. Your hope is being transformed. God's never stopped short, and He never will. All things work for the good of those who love God and call according to His purpose. Promise number one, He will not waste your season. Promise number two. Promise number two. Moving the needle always changes the 
perspective. Moving the needle always changes the perspective. Look at this. In verse 2, what's he say? Chapter 5, verse 2. We've obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. Somebody read the last half a sentence for that. We rejoice what? We rejoice in the, what's that word? We rejoice in the hope. In verse 2, he says we rejoice in the hope. The hope of what? The glory of God that we have received through faith in Jesus. We rejoice in this hope. It's good. So why? The bleep, 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 bleep. Did we have to apply pressure? Did y'all catch that? I didn't want you to have to bleep out the podcast, so I'm bleeping it out for you. Why the bleep? Did we need the pressure if we already had the hope? Because he says in verses, the next verses that the pressure eventually moves the needle into the hope. But he said we already had the hope in verse 2 before the pressure was applied. So why the bleep did we need the pressure if we already had the hope? Here's why. Because when pressure produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and your needle has been moved from here to here, not only do you have a different position and a transformed image, now you have a different perspective because 180 degrees, I'm in the same room, but I'm turning here, I see the room differently. Right? I'm in the same room. My position hasn't changed. My standing hasn't changed. My perspective has changed. And because my perspective changed, I see what I have differently than I did before. So, as you are thankful for your affliction, not only does your transformation take place one degree at a time, but when you get 180 degrees, you have the same thing. You see it differently. You can have all the same things. You can have your health, your kids, your job, your roof, your friends, your car, your family, God's faithfulness, and you can have the hope that you have in Jesus. But after you endure a little bit of affliction, your perspective on all those things is completely different. Including the hope that you have received by faith. You can have the same things, but in a different perspective, a new gratefulness, a new thankfulness for it. As I move from old to new, I receive a fresh perspective, and I see all that I have differently. Last questions for you. What affliction or or pressure are you enduring today? What affliction or pressure... Are you currently enduring today? Remember, we don't end with thought-provoking questions that you meditate on for the rest of the day. We end with questions that we talk about. 
What's the pressure that you feel? Where do you feel like you're hemmed in and you, you don't really have a door to take, an avenue to take? You feel like it's, it's rubbing against and pressing in. And it's an affliction that you're trying to endure. So you feel a pressure to perform, you feel a pressure to achieve, to, to manufacture the life that you think you should be living, and you feel pressed in on that, and then you begin to feel a little bit claustrophobic when you're not doing that. So when you begin to feel claustrophobic in that, now you want to bust out of that, and I'm going to make it all happen. But then when you try to do that, now you're exhausted and you're wore out. So I would ask you the follow-up question is, are you fighting the urge to turn away? Or, like, are, are you able to sit in that and say, okay, I, I have these desires, these urges, but I feel pressed in. In that, do you fight the urge to, to cover up and then chase all your Christian duties and all your things that you think are going to make you good? Or do you sit and behold the glory of God and allow it to work you out? Do you veil it or do you remain unveiled and behold God's goodness, and let Him bring you through with endurance. Shape your character. It's definitely veiling it. Uh, instead of chasing after the glory promise and the glory of the it's more like an artificial when you create that. Yeah. And, uh, because that's, that's ultimately what's going to bring me peace, is what I create when that falls short every single time. And I know that, I've done it a thousand times. And the tendency is just a natural, that's... That's how I'm gonna act if I just if I stay distant. And, uh, it's just a struggle to keep. It's the constant die yourself daily, which is we get all the time, but it's so real. And uh, and I and I don't. I, I definitely don't. It's just a, it's just a part of it. It's interesting. So Stephen's describing that the glory of God reveals this image of Himself. I don't like that, so now I'm going to bust out of that image and I'm going to create a new image and I'm going to create it by busyness and Christian duties. Some of the things we talked about last week that are veils for the glory of God. But if we can learn to behold who God is, meditate on who He is and what He's doing, stop for a while and go through this process and let the glory of God shine upon you. And not only are you going to look at your own image and say, you know what, I'm not who I want to be, but it's not your job to change who you are. Because simply beholding who He is is what moves the needle in your life. And if you would learn to meditate and prayerfully consider what He's saying to you, then He will move that needle in your life. And instead of those who... Wait upon the Lord. What's the promise? Those who wait upon the Lord will what? Renew their strength and they will not grow weary. 
It doesn't say those who bust out against their pressure will not grow weary. Those who bust out against the feeling of being constrained in their life will not grow weary. It says those who wait and behold the glory of God and they take it in, they meditate on who He is and they understand who He is and what He's saying. Those people will receive endurance and they will renew their strength and not grow weary. The promise for you as you feel constrained and you want to create new paths and create a new life and create a new image, those people are going to be exhausted and you're going to burn out. There's no promise for you other than failure. Right? But the promise is in the waiting. And in the waiting, it's the beholding. It's the meditating and praying concerning who He is and what He's saying. And in that, your needle moves. And as your needle moves, your endurance increases, your character increases, your hope receives a new perspective. And now when he puts something in your path, you're ready and prepared to be the man to receive it. After we use Stephen as an example, nobody else may want to answer, but what affliction are you enduring?